Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. Today we are rewinding all the way back to March 30th, 2011, episode 635, Creating Your Vision of Liberty. I chose this uh, rewind for today for a couple reasons. One, I needed to do a rewind, guys. I'm still just just jammed uh, all day long, every day, trying to get things ready for the, the coming workshop. And uh, I'm, I'm reconsidering this whole spring workshop thing in the future, guys, because... Uh, Two of these a year is uh, is stressful. The fall one's a lot easier. Uh, things are in a different mode in the fall than they are in the spring. Many of you that are homesteaders completely understand that. You're kind of in a wind-down phase. Well, right now we're in a ramp-up phase, and we got all this stuff going on, and we got a lot of stuff that if we don't get it done in the next couple weeks, it's going to really hurt our production for the year. So um, I just need the time. I hope you understand that. But the other reason is because this episode... It is absolutely typifies what Survival Podcast is all about. Uh, you'll hear two stories today of radical transformation of, of lifestyle. And uh, I won't say anything about it because it's all in the, the, the coming uh, show here. But I want to talk about it in my view from we're in 2017 now. And we're looking six years back into this show. And there are literally thousands of stories like this now uh, out of our audience. And, and even in 2011, we had been into the show, what, for three years at this point. There were, there were dozens, if not a couple hundred stories like this. This is what modern survivalism is. This is the, the entire point. It is not just to be prepared in case there's a disaster. That's, that's a box we tick off, right, along the pathway to designing a lifestyle that fits what we really want in our lives. And I don't mean this like, you know, Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar or some kind of shit like that. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. You guys, if, if you're long-term listeners, you know, I don't do that. I do believe that we all have more control over our lives than we've been led to believe. That That is absolutely the case, that we have been taught and conditioned by society to believe that, you know, they tell you you can do whatever you want in life, but what they really tell you is, well, you got to do this, 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 and this, and then maybe you'll have this. That doesn't sound like you can do anything you really want with your life. You have to go into debt and go to college. That doesn't sound like you can do anything you want with your life, because that's not what everybody wants to do. It's not what everybody should do. Um, one of the people you'll hear about today was a very, very successful person in, 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 you know, technology who has walking papers. You know, just shy of his pension. You know, nice, nice, like that wasn't planned or something. Um, and somebody that I think up to that point never thought it would happen. But followed the path and then realized after that that like, you know what, I only have so much of my life left, to be honest. That's how a lot of people are starting to feel. And even if you're 30, you can feel that way. Even if you're 25, you can feel that way. Like, you only have so much time on this planet, in this life. No matter what you believe about the afterlife, no matter what, you know, whether it's you go to sleep and you're done, or you go to heaven, or you're reincarnated, it doesn't matter. 
what you believe. When it comes down to it, if this life matters, then you've got to do something with it to find the best happiness for yourself and the people you care about possible. And that's what TSP has been about from the very beginning. Because the reason we prepare isn't because we're preparing for the end of the world. We're prepare, we prepare because shit goes wrong. And all of the work we do to design our lives to be lived to their fullest can be derailed so easily if we're not prepared. If we don't have a little money put away, a, a, a breakdown to our car can take six months to 12 months off our plan. It can either be a mountain or a speed bump. It's up to us. A job loss can be an opportunity to change direction in your life if you have stability and if you have resiliency built into your lifestyle. Or it can be a devastating thing that I guarantee you there are people who lost their jobs in 2008 and 2009 during the Great Recession that have still not recovered. They've still not recovered. Some of you may be out there listening to me and it may be you. Whatever's in the past is in the past. But today we're going to listen to the past. And I can tell you the people that you hear about in this episode are still living better lives because they made a decision to make a change in their lives, to do what they really wanted to do in their lives. And I'm asking you to listen to it today and to think about how that can impact you. Before I bring it on, I want to remind you, while we don't do any commercials during the show, you can always support us by doing your Amazon shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. Think about that today, and think about bettering your life. Here we go, all the way back, rewinding through time, March 30th, 2011. Hi, folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 635 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Wednesday, March the 30th, 2011. We're one day away from the end of the month, and that's one-fourth of the year, 25% of the year, gone. Are you working for liberty? And the reason I ask that today is not just the same reason I always do it, because today's show is entitled Creating the Vision of Liberty. And that's not creating the vision of liberty for all of your countrymen and yourself, because that's a long way off right now. It's creating the vision of liberty for yourself so you can be an example to your fellow countrymen so that they can create their own version of liberty in their own lives. That, to me, is what America really is supposed to be all about. So in today's show, I'm going to share with you um, the stories of two listeners, some very different people in very different parts of the country, and uh, in fact, one's even in Canada. Uh, but I'm going to share with you a vision that one started, uh, re preparing as a retirement plan. I've, I've talked about that on the show before, and it was inspired by this post. I'm going to read the post to you. I'm going to read that individual's latest post that you know occurred like almost two years later and, and tell you where he's at in his life. And then there's another listener who um, I've worked with as a business mentor in the past, a long time ago. I've known this, this, this family for, God, I guess 12 years, maybe a little bit more than that. And they recently found my show a couple years ago and you know looked up to see what I was doing now and started listening, and they had some real flux in their lives and, and what they've done. And then I'm going to come, go from there, and I'm going to talk to you about how you do it for yourself. 
and I think it's going to be a great show today. Uh, if I get another one of these strap in because uh, I'm going to try to charge you up and make you feel good about doing something for yourself today versus feel helpless about all the things that are going on around you. All right, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. And like I said, this kind of started with a post that was done uh, by a guy that's, that's called Canadian Guy, and it's actually CDN Guy uh, on our forum. And he's a really cool guy, and it was in response to someone else's post. And when I read it and I saw the responses coming to it, I split it off, made it its own post, and we've made it a sticky, uh, which means it's always at the top, and it's in the Homesteading Self-Reliant Living Board on the forum. And I'm just going to read to you his post. And uh, I'm going to skip the very beginning because he's responding to the original post, and it'll make more sense if I cut out that first paragraph. Preparedness as a retirement plan. The concept of retirement is a relatively new one. Not so long ago, when we were more agrarian-based society, few people ever retired. Their daily duties just changed. As we grew older, we would take over running the farm and then maybe uh, step back and let our kids do that. Maybe we would take over maintenance of the equipment or something a little less physically demanding but required experience. Maybe we would help out more inside the home, but flat-out retirement to travel south and play golf all day was the domain of the ultra-rich. Even then, most tycoons were still wheeling and dealing well into their 60s and beyond. Nowadays, with retirement plans taking uh, tanking and pension funds bleeding out, we may find ourselves without the ability to retire once again. However, this time we won't have the farm to feed us and the multi-generational home to keep us occupied and close to our loved ones. If we were very fortunate, we may be able to find a spot in a retirement home or sell our current home to pay for it. Me, I have a different plan. My plan depends on me getting prepared to take care of myself and my wife for as long as we are physically able. If my plan works, we will be also be able to retire early. He's got retire, retire in quotes. The plan is preparedness. When you think about it, if you can provide most of your own food, utilities, and medicine, and your shelter is bought and paid for, how much money do you really need? Enough to pay for property taxes, run your vehicle, and take care of emergencies. Maybe you need some money for a bit of travel as well, but not as much money as two people working for more than 40 hours a week generate. It's hard to imagine a household income of around $100,000 a year or about 73000 after taxes. Remember, I'm Canadian. Our dollar is only worth about 80% of the U.S. dollar. <laughs> that tells you how long ago this post was like two years ago. Uh, now we have a lot of people... Now, now we know a lot of people are going to have a mortgage payment around $1,400 a month, utilities of at least $400 a month, TV and Internet for around $200 a month, $500 for food, $400 for various insurances, $200 for gas for the vehicles, and it just goes on and on. So just the cost of living consumes $3,100 of your after-tax income. Yearly, that's about half your income. If you can pay off your home, produce half of your utilities, drop the fancy TV package, step down a notch on Internet access, though that's a tough one for me, and produce half your food, you cut that outlay to about $1,100 a month. At that point, one of you can effectively retire, or the two of you can work half as much. So what do you do with the extra 20 to 30 hours a week? You do soul-building things like work your garden, love your spouse, split some wood, read books, start a business, whatever. Now you are working for you, and should everything go for a poop, you are completely prepared to live comfortably and well with little to no income. I find the thought of retiring to my homestead around the age of 50 to be much more motivating and positive thought. Uh, then to think of pre prepping to cope with worldwide disaster. Disaster may never come, but time always marches on. 
Um, I think you can see why I read that. And I think you can see why it spawned, you know, page after page of response and uh, a lot of great follow-up. And you probably want to check this post out and read the entire chain. The other thing that I, and I'm going to do a lot of reading in the beginning of today's show. Um, but I think as you hear what I'm reading, you'll understand why. Um, so here is Canadian Guy's most recent post. This is over two years later. And uh, it was done yesterday, 10.39 p.m. And uh, i got to tell you that every victory I hear of like this from the audience just makes me go, yeah, I'm doing the right thing with this show. This is this is what I want for, for all people everywhere, not just Americans. Again, this gentleman's from Canada. My oh my, how time has flown since I first wrote this post. There's so much to share. Since that time, I started my own website with a Canadian flavor on the topic of preparedness. It's been growing slowly, but that's also in direct proportion to the amount of time I've spent on it. I've been wrapped up in a project at work, and my wife has started a new job that consumed just about every waking moment of her life. Seriously, she was managing a hotel. She had never managed a hotel, but within a year and a half, her hotel was named number two for that brand worldwide. You know this brand, so so to make number two spot uh, while being located in central Alberta is a huge success for anyone, let alone a newbie with no formal education. Then someone somewhere up the line got a little upset that an unknown could do so well. Well, that has turned into a living hell. Along the way... We took a trip to Nova Scotia for six days, first vacation either of us has had. We fell in love with the people in the place. My wife has been there several times when she used to be a long-haul driver, and both of us had known many Maritimers throughout our lives, so the reputation of their hospitality and such has always been with us. Fueled by the distaste for the increasing bureaucratic ways and cutthroat business of Alberta, my sweetie started looking for properties down east. Our dream of having an acreage that we could retire to in the preparedness lifestyle in Alberta had vanished, and even most isolated acreages were costing $400,000 in uprange. Well, didn't she find three acres uh, with an old farmhouse and a shop for $30,000? After having a home inspector check it out and send us a highly detailed reports with tens of page, p- pages of pictures and everything he saw, we made the offer and bought it. Again, folks, this was thirty grand for this place with three acres in uh, in Nova Scotia. Maybe not the smartest thing to do without having actually walked the land, but we felt confident in our home inspector and the survey report that an old friend of mine who lives down there sent me. The home inspector we ended up getting was the head of the Home Inspectors Association for Nova Scotia. There was no one in our area, so he drove the two hours from Halifax to check it out for us. His final recommendation, if we don't buy it, he will. We flew down on a Thursday to finish the paperwork and close the deal. We went to the house and toured it. The home inspection was exactly representative of what was there. Quickly, we winterized the home, then we met the neighbors. Oh, the neighbors, you will, be, you will be relieved to know that people with good hearts who do the right things because it's the right thing to do do still exist. Of course they do. Most of you are those kind of people, too. We had a coffee with them, and we could have spent the whole night just visiting. They offered right out of the gate to keep an eye on our home for us. They told us of the wonderful old couple that used to live there and the history of the land. The neighbor did a lot of work on that place and was very open with us. The more we heard, the more we knew. Um, that this is the place for us, something more than fate and just luck, some haphazard planning. This place was meant for us to retire to in 10 to 15 years. Okay, my sweetie sped that up by 10 to 15 years. 
I can laugh now that the panic attacks have stopped. The hotel situation drove her to find another job, another job in Nova Scotia. So right now my sweetie, our daughter and our dog, are in that new old home peeling layers of wallpaper and planting the garden while I'm here in central Alberta getting our house ready to sell. I've listed it, I've listed it now, by the way. Once the house sells, I'll honor my commitment to my employer, who's a good man of his word and, and a mentor to me. I'll join my sweetie in our mortgage-free acreage in Nova Scotia, and at that point, we won't owe anyone a dime. True to our vision of preparedness as a retirement plan, we'll continue to work jobs, work on making the acreage self-sufficient as we can, and enjoy the moments that we couldn't have in the rat race here. Don't get me wrong, Alberta has some of the best people you'll ever meet. It will always be the energy that drives Canada. I just don't, and I just don't mean oil and gas. But we'll be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor and visit with neighbors, play cards, drink coffee, and get back to building on that website. I started, I started more frequently like the good people of Canada deserve. It's terrifying in many ways, such a large change in almost every aspect of my life, yet it's also the beginning of a realization of our dreams and something I preached here a couple of years ago now. I hope this has been inspiring, at least entertaining to you in some way. I'd love to read how you are progressing on making preparedness is part of your retirement plan. How awesome is that? And I want you to really understand what happened there. About two years ago, this gentleman had the courage and the audacity to state publicly, this is what I'm going to do in the next 10 to 15 years. And a lot of people would look at that and go, uh, 10 to 15 years, maybe, that's tough. And, I don't. and he did it in two. He did it in two. From the statement to the accomplishment, two years. Now, will these people still have to work? Uh-huh. How much money do they need to make? No car payment, no house payment. you, you got to know the taxes on a place like that can't be too high. His wife's already found a job there. They're up and they're getting the house ready to, to, to move into. He's getting the other house ready to sell. These people are going to live an entirely different life and one that's so much more suited to themselves. And again, if hard times hit, how much better off will they be? And if hard times don't hit, how much better off will they be? And that brings me to another story from another person, a very different story. Um, but this is from a, a lady named Kathy, who, again, I've known her and her family for about 12 years now. And uh, I, I've kind of helped her as a business mentor over the years and just being a friend. And uh, we've even vacationed with her family in Florida once. Um, great people, uh, but stuck in the hellhole that is New Jersey. I've mentioned several times I have friends in New Jersey uh, paying ridiculous property taxes. These are those friends. Let me read to you. Uh, Kathy's story. For the past five years, I've wanted to sell our house and move west. The cost of living in New Jersey is obnoxious. We had a mortgage. We refinanced. So then we had two mortgages. We had credit card debt. We had four, a four-bedroom house on one acre of land. And our property tax is currently $14,000 a year, increased annually for the wrong reasons. We never had extra money to take nice vacations. We were always treading water. Ed, who's her husband, by the way, had a high-level a high level key executive position with an attractive salary, nice benefits, and a company car. With every annual raise, our expenses and property taxes would continually increase, and it came to a point over the years where we found we could never get ahead. Three years ago, they stopped giving him raises because they decided he was at the top salary for his position or some corporate bullshit. He worked nine hours a day with a 45-minute commute each way. Sometimes he had to work weekends also. 
I was a stay-at-home mom for many years. Then as our kids grew older, became more independent, I tried my hand at building a small business. When I wasn't driving the kids to their activities, I spent most of my days alone. Ed would be gone from 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. or later. We would have dinner. He would want to veg out in front of the TV to relax from his intense day for a few hours. Then would fall asleep from exhaustion as a result of his day-to-day, quote, existence, unquote. Our quality time was his four weeks vacation with the family once a year. I talked with him often about our life together and how we had, there had to be a better way. But we couldn't figure out what the better way was or how I, how to find it. I had no idea, but I just knew there was a better way somewhere. Interestingly, I discovered your survival podcast only weeks before Ed was laid off. After 25 years of dedication, he worked his tail off. His heart and soul was in the company. I believe his motivation was working to acquire the false promise of a nice pension at the age of 65. He decided he'd only have to work another eight years in order to collect the pension. Well, one morning they called him in and they told him they were cutting back 5% of the company and they ditched him in 10 minutes. No warning, his pension was completely cut off. He was escorted out of the building with only a box of stuff in less than two hours. How interesting that that this promise was made, but nobody in his company ever lasts till they're 65. It took Ed about a month to come to terms with this. He was so angry and hurt, he finally decided he really didn't want to go back to corporate America, but he didn't know what to do. Did he have a choice? I knew he did somehow, but I didn't have the answers for him. Well, as the universe would have it, I just happened to check out your website. Synchronicity is amazing. I've known you for many years, and I was just curious to see what you're up to these days. I listened to a few of your shows at random, and the light bulb went on. I downloaded a few, made Ed listen to them, and he did. I imagine that was tough. Uh, then he listened to more of them. You definitely inspired him. You helped us find the better way. You helped him realize that he indeed did have a choice. Ed made a spreadsheet, figured out our expenses to live in our home annually, all our expenses, all our debt, mortgage, everything. His spreadsheet was quite impressive. When we reviewed the results, it was it was no decision to put the house up for sale while we could still get some equity out of it and use that money to buy another house, cash somewhere outside of New Jersey. It was a little scary, but we put the house up for sale and received two offers inside of three weeks. Each Each offer was much higher than we expected. It was very stressful as we didn't expect the house to sell so fast. We had no plans where to go. Then we decided to rent something much smaller as we need to stay around for Ed's mom, who's 91 and lives in an assisted living home. We're all she has. And although we plan to leave New Jersey, we can't do that just yet. My pet business is thriving. She's a pet sitter, by the way, folks. She created her own business out of thin air one day and said, you know what, I'll watch your dog while you're away. And uh, she's done very well for herself with that. Back to that. My pet business is thriving, so that is another reason we decided to stay a little longer for the additional income. Also, I'd like to see our, ki- see our kids have more stability in their lives financially. So we are renting a very small house in the wood, uh, woods on five acres a little further out. We love it here. We have a fireplace and a wood stove, and the dogs have lots of creatures to hunt for. It was a major downsize for us, and it was so freeing to be mortgage-free, debt-free, and have less stress. We're not sure where we will go from here. Colorado is high on our list, but I don't want to commit to another house yet. We'll spend this year enjoying our freedom and looking around at places until we can figure out how to leave the state and make a living elsewhere. Ed's only requirement is that our next house is that it be... It lived in an, it, that it be in an area where fly fishing is available. Ed started a small business as a handyman. He can fix anything. He is a resource, he's resourceful. Uh, our realtor sends him many referrals from his clients. My pet customers use his services and other friends and neighbors call on him. 
He's doing well. He also does some small, some consulting work for a small company in Chicago, similar to the company he worked for in Newark. He also intended an internet boot camp course for a week and developed TotalPetDepot.com. It's a work in progress. If you have a second, check it out. He has many pots in the fire. He is so much happier. And what have we learned? It's your money or your life. We played by the rules, the American way with the white picket fence, etc. We had the status and the stuff, and we went along with it. We had a little time together to live life we were supposed to live. Now we don't have so much stuff. We don't have debt. We also don't have income uh, that we used to have. We moved out of our comfort zone, and I now realize it wasn't that comfortable to begin with. The best part is we have time together. We're together daily. We help each other in each of our businesses. It's like we're starting over on our own terms. We're happy. We feel that is right, that it is right. Uh, and we don't have any rules we have to follow. Isn't that awesome? We will begin to find our way and decide on a house to live somewhere eventually. Or should I say a bug out location? It's the two of us and our dogs now. The kids grew up. We are free. We have quality of life. I guess we're all supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time, and the universe presents it to us when the time is right. Uh, let's see. You seem to appear in our lives each time we're supposed to move into the next journey. Uh, you rock. I hope we can meet up with you and Dorothy at some point and celebrate our friendship. Ed speaks highly of you and your website to all our friends. Now that we are almost settled into our new house. We moved in four weeks ago, and we can't. We can get back to listening to your podcast. Thanks so much for all you do. If you feel free to use our story if you want, I just ask you to leave out our last name, which, of course, I did. If you are ever out our way, please contact us. We'd love to talk with you, uh, Kathy. So, very different story, right? They're not on that acreage out in the middle of the wilderness yet, but their life is still better. They're still living in the suburbs, But their expenses are much less, and their debt's much less, and their taxes are much less. The guy's not killing himself nine hours a day with a 45-minute commute. As a guy that used to work about 12 with a 50-mile commute, I can empathize. Um, they'll probably live longer now. I almost don't doubt that. I, I think that Ed probably was on his way to an early heart attack with the type of job that he was doing. What is my real point today, though, just to share two inspiring stories with you? No, it's more important that I think you understand that one person took two years to get to a place that most people think is impossible to do in 15, and another group of people did it in, in like three months because they had a fire lit under their ass because they had to make a decision. But both of them basically said one day, this is what we're going to do. And the, the statement gave them the power to create a vision in their mind of what they were going to achieve. And once that's done, instead of being obsessed with a new car, instead of being obsessed with the next promotion, instead of being obsessed with your 401k balance, instead of being obsessed with getting your kid into the right frickin' preschool, and those of you that are doing that need to be smacked in the head. If you are competing to get your child into a preschool, somebody needs to show up at your house, knock on your door, and when you open the door... <laughs> right in the face, and just say, wake up to reality. I know very few of you are probably doing that, but the fact that anybody's doing that, and all of this other crap that we've attached ourselves to and decided all of a sudden out of nowhere is important, these people said, that's not important anymore. Here will I pull myself out of the conundrums and the rat race and all the crap when I pull myself out and I stop and I pause and I breathe, And I reconnect with who I was before I got into all this crap. And I ask myself, what's important to me? This is what's important to me. 
Not what Jack Spearco says is important to me. Not what anybody says is important to me. Whether it's somebody honest like Jack or liars like the Madison Avenue marketing firms, it doesn't matter. It can't, they can't know what's important to you because they don't have your heart, your soul, your family, and your situation in life. These two people pulled themselves back enough. And to be fair, four people. We've got two couples here. They did it together. That's so much more powerful. Pulled themselves back and said, what do we really want? And when they defined that and they created a vision, they took all of the obsession with pleasing their boss or pleasing their kids by getting them into some activity or buying the next new piece of crap or driving the new car up so your neighbor can look at it and go, wow, and that, that all lasts about five seconds. When they took all that obsession and they applied it to what they actually wanted. And the timeline to get there was really, really short. I, you know, I, I told this story recently about one of my friends who kind of went through this whole depressed state because he lost a job. By the way, that gentleman found a job in three freaking days. It took him three. When he pulled his head out of his ass, he's not going, oh, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. He pulled his head out of his ass, beefed up his resume, looked for a job. took him like three weeks to actually get hired. But the, within three days, he heard from a company who hired him. Two interviews, one hire, three days. Done. Anyway, the reason I brought him up was because he was telling me how, you know, he'd like to live out in the country and all, and you have to be rich to do that. And, you know, I said, well, what do you want to do? You hunt and fish and hang out with family and all. I'm like, Brad, there's millions, millions of broke-ass rednecks all over America and rural America. Broke is crap. And they're doing that right now. So what I'm saying is it's important to understand that what we think is hard is really hard. What's hard is spending 50 or more years of your life working a job you hate, associating with people you don't like, kissing the ass of people that you didn't really want to shake the hand of in the first place. That's hard. Deciding that your life is worth something, that's also hard. See, it's not actually getting to Nova Scotia or getting to that little that little house on five acres in, in the middle of rural New Jersey that you're renting for you know half or less of what you were paying to own your own home that you would never really own. Because you're, I mean, come on, folks, listen. If your property taxes are fourteen grand a year, you can't possibly say you own your home. Now, people will say, you know, anybody paying property tax, you don't really own your home. Look, my property taxes in Arkansas are $316 or $326 a year, something like that. I consider that fine. For what I get from the service from the county for that, it's a deal. I, it, You know, basically they come through once a year and make sure the road's not falling apart. And if, uh, you know, any of the utilities are damaged, they'll fix them. And, and you know, for that, yeah, you know, that's 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 fair deal. Honestly, couldn't pay somebody with a machine if I got all my neighbors together. Uh, I think we're getting a great deal, honestly. I think we're getting more than we... So, I think you can own your house with property taxes. But when you look at, in most of America, what you can rent, what you absolutely can rent for $1,000 a month, and then you look at paying property taxes that exceed that. You're paying $1,200, $1,300 a month in property taxes. You don't own your home. I'm sorry. And if you if you think you do, stop paying those taxes, and they'll come take that home away from you. But but the really the hard part here, there's two things about this that make this difficult for people. One is letting go of the current obsession. Because most of us, by the time we wake up to the horror of what we've created for ourselves, are in our 30s or 40s. And we've dedicated so much of our lives, and our kids are already half-grown or more. 
And it's very hard for us to let go of the obsession because letting go of the obsession means an admission that it didn't have to be this way. I could have done it differently. And a regret that you can't turn the hands of time back. Folks, get over it. Because that is not something you can do anything about. But wherever you are at your point in time now, put your hand in the air like you're going to do a karate chop and look at your hand. So you're looking at your thumb, perfectly you know, vertical. Like you're going to karate chop a piece of wood that's vertical across or horizontal across in front of you. Look to the left of your hand, that's yesterday. Your hand is today, and to the right of your hand is the future. You can do anything you want with your hand forward. You can't do a damn thing about what happened in the past. So let go. So that's the first thing that's hard, is to let go of the obsession. The second thing that's hard, and this is this is the really hard one for some people. Some people can do this, like, as soon as you they hear it the first time, they'll do it. And some people, man, they struggle with this one. They struggle with it so hard. Your life has value, and you deserve what you want. If you'll just accept that as truth, your life has value, and you deserve what you want. And we say, well, if everybody thought like this, and some mass murderer, shut up! I don't care about the mass murderer. I care about you. You're a decent, good human being. Your life has value, and you deserve what you want. And if you will not accept that, taking the next step will be all but impossible. Because you'll go back to the obsession, and you'll convince yourself, well, my kid wants this, so I have to work an extra hour today. No, your kid wants you to spend time with him. My wife wants this, so I'll work an extra hour today. No, your wife wants her husband to be there for her. My husband wants us to be able to go on this vacation next June, so I'm going to work harder on this. No, your husband wants his wife. That's the point of the vacation. And if if you're going to be there for all these other people in your life that you, you love so much, then you have to be happy too. And sometimes what the husband and the wife want seem very, very different. But when both parties decide, you know what, let's just for today, let's just let go of the obsession, let it go, let's sit down and talk, all of a sudden you start to realize that even where you think you're night and day apart, if you take now take your hands, put your palms facing towards you. Okay? Look at your hands. Just like you're looking at your two palms, holding them straight up in front of your face. And then interlock your fingers. All right? Interlock your fingers. Your palms represent everything you want. Your fingers represent the places that they overlap. You see that overlap? You focus on that. You focus on the overlap. The things that you want in common, you build a vision around those. And all of a sudden you start to realize a lot of the things that you think you're, you're so so different on, you can have those if you'll focus on the overlap. And not because it's a compromise, not because your wife's like, okay, Billy, you can have that if I can have this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just by focusing 100% on the places that you see it the same way, the opportunity to have all the other things you really want. Because some people are like, well, I want to live in Idaho. I want to live in Idaho. My wife is addicted to her family, and she lives here in Texas. And there's no way in hell she's ever going to go to Idaho. That's why I went to Hot Springs. Okay? That right there, that, that objection is why I went to Hot Springs. Because what did I really want out of Idaho? I wanted to hunt and fish. I wanted to breathe clean air. I wanted to be able to walk for miles and miles and miles on land that nobody would tell me to get the hell off of or charge me a fee to go on to. 
That's what I really wanted. I wanted to get the hell away from this rat race. I didn't want flat land. I wanted streams and, and lakes with clean water that if I you know, sat on a boat and put my feet into the water and looked down, I could see my feet in the water. I didn't want it to be so dadgone hot every night. I deal with hot days, but I wanted the nights to be cool. Well, I can find all of that somewhere where we overlap. There were things that she wanted to be close to her family, which was a fair compromise. And now that we put that vision together, just like these other two couples that you're hearing about, we all did it differently. But we're each getting what we really want out of life. My wife, by the way, has started blogging, something I tried to get her to do for years, about all her experiences being a nurse. site's not even like dressed up yet or anything, but she's got a couple of posts on it. It's called HugNurse.com, and the tagline we came up with is, Kids Need Hugs More Than Drugs. Uh, it took her two months of being off work to just get to a point where she said, you know what, I do need to do this. And much to my surprise, she's not just talking about her experience. She's talking about all of the things that I told her over the years that she just couldn't accept. And all of a sudden she's going, yeah, things like food coloring and MSN probably are why we see so many kids with ADHD. And it is being pulled out of that. So she's finding herself and she's finding her voice. And I imagine all four of these other people are not just finding themselves, they're finding their internal voice. And that voice is what leads us to what we really want. And this ties into Monday. Monday somebody asked me, Jack, what do we do when we're almost done paying off our debt? We've gotten like halfway there, but we've worked really hard, we sacrificed for so long, and also we start spending more money and we slow down on our debt payment. you got to get the vision back, man. What's it going to mean when the, vision, when the debt's gone? What's it going to be? See, there's nothing stronger than a common vision for a couple or an individual vision for an individual. When you have a vision that you truly believe in, and it's not, a, see, there's a difference in a dream and a vision. A dream is whatever you can come up with. A dream is, well, if I win the lottery one day, then what I'm going to do is this. I'll have an estate with, you know, 50,000 acres and I'm, whatever, you know, to the ridiculous extreme. That's a dream. A dream is a vision with no path. You know, even if it's a reasonable, well, I'd like to have 40 acres up in the mountains somewhere, just a little old house and a uh, little garden in the back. And again, don't let that vision be what your vision, if that's your vision, great. If it's something else, fine. But the dream is thinking that way when you're 22 and you're working for like $6.50 an hour and you think the man is out to get you and you're not really doing anything to get there. That's a dream. Vision is where you make it concrete and say, this is what I want. Here's how the hell I'm going to get there. And once you have that, it's very, very hard to fail. It's almost impossible to screw up. If you think about how much energy a human being exerts in a job so that they can stay in a house they can't afford, pay a debt that they really didn't want, keep crap they don't really want, and you think about how much energy goes into doing that, just imagine what happens when that energy is transferred to something you actually do want. You haven't been suckered into it. You've actually decided for yourself, this is what I want. This is my freedom. This is why a guy in a jail cell can use a teaspoon and eventually tunnel out of a jail. It seems insurmountable, but he has nothing but time and energy, and he dreams of one day breathing free air. And that's exactly what I'm asking you to do for yourself. Except in our modern world, you don't have a teaspoon to dig your tunnel with. You can get one of them great, big, giant, boring machines like they had on uh, Total Recall. 
I mean, that's really what you need to like envision your life being. You, if you've never seen the movie, you know, look it up on YouTube or something. See if you can find one of these drills that they used on Mars, right? When the guy just gets in there, it just drills this freaking huge tunnel. That, that's how you need to be heading toward your vision. 75 is too old. Now, if you're already 75, don't take that wrong. I don't mean it that way. I mean, if you're 30 today, and you're thinking of 75, it's too old. Susie Orman, one of my favorite useless idiots, right, is on with this new crap about the new American dream. Hey, you're going to be working till you're 70 now. You just need to accept that and start living below your means. Right? With this pinhead, this pinhead, the same month I was telling you, get your money out of the market, was saying, now's not the time to panic, stay the course. Right? If you listen to any of these idiots, you're following the wrong, the wrong path. If you listen to me, to the exclusion of your own thought processes, you're following the wrong path. You're following my path. I can't walk your path. I, I, I tell you what, I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of comments where it says, I don't agree with everything Jack says, but, and I go, thank God. Oh, thank God. Cause you know what scares the crap out of me? Jack, I've been listening to you for six months, and I agree with everything you say. I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't put that voodoo on me. Because one day you're going to tune in, and I'm going to say something because I'm pissed off, and it's going to piss you off because you're going to go, I don't agree with that, and you're going to get mad and you're going to stop listening, and then 90% of what works for you, you'll, you'll cast aside because of one disagreement where you may not even have understood what I was actually saying or didn't understand my frame of reference. Or two years from now, you may, you may agree with me. Or two years from now, I might agree with you. We're going to disagree. We're independent, liberty-minded people. No two people can argue longer over one stupid thing than two libertarians. Right? I mean, you're just going to tear an issue apart. And I think it's, as a political group, I think it's to our own detriment. We spend so much time arguing over the 5% we want to disagree about, the 95% we'd like to get done that's actually doable, you know, I'll tell you what, <laughs> The 95% that's actually doable never gets done because the outsiders focus on the 5% we argue about. And I'm going to say something today, and this is like totally off, off base, but it just made me think of it when I said that. And uh, anybody who can email me today with who said this, I'll send you a discount code for the MSB to get your first year for 20 bucks. All right? And I'll do that until the end of today, so it's only for listeners. And the quote is, politics is the art of the possible. And I'll tell you, I'm looking for one of our founders that said that. Politics is the art of the possible. You get a discount code for $20 for one year of the Members Support Brigade. All right, back on to this vision thing, man. You've got to understand that it's really all about you. And it can be done. And you can get it done. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, talking to people that were in their you know 40s that are about as old as I am now and saying, like, this is what I want one day. And they're like, oh, that's a great dream, you know. And I, I could tell they were kind of, kind of like, almost like the way you talk to your kid when he's seven years old and says he's going to be the next Michael Jordan, and you know he's going to be like a five foot nine inch white kid, and you just know it ain't going to happen. But you're like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know that pan, that 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 that, that pathetic pandering sound that school teachers make. Oh, that's nice, Johnny. That voice, you know, it, it wasn't that condescending. Because you are an adult and, you know, you have kind of an equal relationship. I'm not talking about parents here or anything. I'm talking about associates. But you know what they were really thinking? Well, if I couldn't do it by now, he ain't going to do it. You know? 
It makes me think of the, the Toby Keith song, How Do You Like Me Now? There's a little bit of spitefulness there, I guess. But, see, that, that belief in them is why they weren't there. It had nothing to do with me, or they're being not smart enough, or not gifted enough, or anything like that. What it had to do was be, becoming obsessed with what society says we're supposed to be obsessed with. I'll make anybody out there today this promise. If you'll sit down and have that, that spouse meeting, or if you're on your own, you'll just do it for yourself, and you'll do some deep searching. And you're going to have to unplug, and you can't do this in a day. And, unless it's always been there and you've just been holding it down. right? For most of us, we've buried it. If you'll go have this conversation with the 12-year-old kid that's still inside of you, who would probably kick your ass if he could get out right now, he'd just come out and beat your ass for going so far away from the dreams that you and him had when you were skipping rocks on a lake when you were 12 years old. If you'll have that conversation, if you'll have the conversation with the significant people in your life, and if you'll develop a vision, and if you will write it down. You don't have to do it in public like Canadian guy did, though it would help. You could do it with a blog. You could do it on a piece of paper that you fold up and put in a book. If you'll just look at it once in a while. If you will write it down and if you will commit that that's where I want to go, I don't know if you'll be there in two years, but you will be a hell of a lot closer than you are now. And you will be a hell of a lot closer than if you don't do it, you will be two years from now. You don't have to write it. You can speak it. I think speaking it is more powerful. I think speaking it is extremely powerful. I Sometimes I worry that I like give myself as an example too much to the audience. I, I don't, I'm not a self-centered person, but I also try to talk about what I know on this show. There's times when people ask me a question. I'm like, let me get a guest to talk about that because I don't know. You know, I try to talk about the things I know that I've done, that I've touched, or that I've so thoroughly researched and gotten all the conflicting opinions about that I've been able to form a completely intelligent informed uh, opinion on, right? Because, like, practical things about about politics, I can't go run for the state house again like I did years ago uh, and keep doing it till I win and then go in there and, and six years later come back and go, now let me tell you what I know about government because I don't want to do that. But otherwise, I try to talk about what I know, and I don't know anything better than I know me. But, I mean, you got to think about this. In June of 2008, I got on the air and I started my message of independence, freedom, and liberty. And I started out with some basic prepping, some basic gardening, get your money out of the stock market, bad times are coming, and building a better life if times got tougher, they, or even if they don't. And I said very early in the show, this is what I'm going to do. We have our place in Arkansas. I am going to build myself a future where my wife and I are going to be able to go to our place in Arkansas and live a much different life. That was 30 months ago. That was 30 months ago, and I started the show with an old beat-up headset that was about 19 bucks. I can't, couldn't even find another one when it finally crapped out, which was a pain in the ass because it was the only one that really worked well in the car, and a $35 MP3 recorder, and a small shared hosting account and a domain name. 30 months, and exactly what I said I would do has been done. I'm not that great. I'm not that special. It's just like if you take somebody and say, if you take Tinder and make a little pile, and then you get a little pile of sticks over top of that, and you get a little bit bigger pile of sticks over that, and you get some great big logs over that, and you build that a pyramid, and you put a really hot spark into the Tinder at the bottom, you'll get a fire. Anybody anywhere who takes the freaking time to go build the structure that way and applies a hot spark to the Tinder 
is going to get what? A fire. Your fire might be an Aggie Bond fire, you know, you know, two stories tall, and my fire might be a, a, a two-foot-tall pyramid that makes a nice warming fire just for about five people to sit around and play music. Our fires may be different. The wood we use may be different. The tinder we use may be different. But everybody that follows the basic freaking system of tinder and a little bit larger and a little bit larger and then great big logs and lots of airflow between them and good quality dry fuel that puts a spark in there is going to get a freaking fire. A person with an IQ of 75, if they build the system that way, is going to get a fire, just like a person with an IQ of 175 is. The system is a great equalizer. And I'm telling you the system for your own independence and liberty and living your life the way you want. The system is to figure out what the hell it is in the first place. The system is to acknowledge that you, you yourself deserve what you want, that you're entitled to it. And I know entitlement is a word that's got a bad rap in America, right? But you are entitled to it if, if you go out and get it. Right? You're not entitled to it in a way that if you, it's required for me to give it to you. But if you'll do the work and you'll follow the system and you'll go there, you're entitled then to reap the benefits of what you've done. So you need to accept the fact that you deserve what you want and you need to figure out what the hell you want. And then you need to set yourself on a course toward that goal and you'll get there. And every single person that does it will get there unless they get run over by a truck, killed by cancer, or something like that. There's nothing you can do about it. I want you to think about it this way. Every day across the world, literally a million plus ships are ferrying cargo and people and for pleasure and business all over the planet, all over the globe. Every single ship leaves one port, heads to another. 99% of the ships that leave one port, get exactly to the port that they had planned to go to in just about the exact amount of time that they had charted the course. The, the one-tenth of one percent that don't are, you know, boats that disappear in the Bermuda Triangle or are damaged or, you know, something happens, they have to go to another port, but 99% go to exactly where they planned in the time they had planned to get there. Why? Because the ship has a captain. And the captain just doesn't go, I think we want to go somewhere like California, and this is Japan, so we're going to head east. Right? If he did that, where the hell would he end up? The freaking could end up in Patagonia, it could end up in Alaska. You know? could end up in the Galapagos Islands. could end up in Mexico. Might actually end up in California. What are the odds that he's going to get in the right shipyard in San Francisco, though? Well, Think about this. 99% get where they're going, but they have the captain that sits down and plots the course. They look at the speed of their vessel, the capability of their vessel, current weather conditions, where they are, where they're going, and say, we're going to go from here to there, and because there's a storm there, we're going to go around it, that's going to take additional time, and because of that, this is how long it's going to take us to get to San Francisco, and they phone the people up or radio the people in San Francisco and says, our ship will be there with the following cargo on this date around this time, and the harbor master makes a place for them, and then they come in and they dock their ship, and all the crap gets to where it's supposed to go. What does that have to do with your life? It has everything to do with your life, because most people don't act like they're the captain of their life, the captain of their ship. If you want to be one of the people that gets to where you want to be, you have to chart your course. I mean, this is so, this is so elementary. And it sickens me that we, of the American people, 
that invented this way of life find it foreign or if somebody's listening to me going right now, wow, that's brilliant. That's not brilliant. Your grandfather would have told you that. Son, what do you want to be? I want to be this. Okay, do these things and you'll get there. You know? If you want to be president, eh, there's only one of those in any you know four-year period. Usually that guy sticks around for eight years. So there's a limited number of people that can be president. But if you want to be in government, there's a path to that. About 50% of the people in America are there now. There's plenty of room for one more. Right? So, I mean, you do have to be realistic with your goal setting. But instead of worrying about being the best compared to somebody else, what is your best life for you? How do you live the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't? And I believe that for the majority of people, not everybody, there's, there's urbanites that listen to this show, you're always going to be urbanites, you like it, they're good for you. Figure out how to do the best you can to create your vision, your way, without dependence in that situation. I think it's harder. You probably think my way's harder. That's okay. See, we get to disagree, and we both get to go build our fire our own way. And let me tell you about the biggest obstacle that you're going to have in your journey. This is assuming that you've been able to sit down with your spouse or with yourself and find that vision. This is assuming you've been able to say, this is how I'm going to get there. This is assuming that you've been able to say, you know what, I deserve this. I deserve this, I deserve what I want, and this is what I want, and I am worthy. Assuming that all happens, it's going to be the people that are supposedly the ones that are the closest to you and love you the most that are going to tell you why it just can't be that way. It makes me think of an old story. I don't know if this is true or an urban legend, but it sure sounds like it would work. There was this place where they took four monkeys, you know, and they put these four chimpanzees in this uh, in this room, and at the top of this pole that the chimpanzee could easily climb was a great big bunch of beautiful bananas. And all four of those monkeys started hauling ass up that pole. And as soon as they did, these evil scientists turned a great big high-pressure fire hose on them and knocked their ass off the pole. Just sprayed their ass off the pole and kept doing it till they gave up and went into the little chimpanzee corner and gave up and said, screw that, those bananas ain't worth it. So it took a while to get these, these chimpanzees to realize every damn time I try to do this, they're gonna, they're gonna spray me with this. So then they did something interesting. They took one of the chimpanzees out of the room and they put in a new chimpanzee who had never been sprayed with the hose. So what do you think he does? <laughs> There's some bananas up on that pole, and he hauls ass toward that pole. Now, unlike human beings, I think we'd be like, oh, the new guy, watch, he's going to get his ass kicked by the fire hose. No, 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 the chimpanzees grab the new chimpanzee and hold him back and say, dude, no, don't go up there. And they just keep suppressing him until he gives up. And he realizes, I don't know why, but I better not go up that pole. The rest of these guys don't want me to. So then they take another one of the original monkeys out, and they keep doing this until they have four monkeys, four chimpanzees in the room that have never been sprayed with water. And none of them will climb up the pole. None of them even know why they won't climb up the pole. They just know everybody else says not to climb up the pole. That's how most modern societies, not just Americans, most modern societies are living their lives today. Can't do it. Why not? I don't know. Isn't that stupid? You know, because one of the chimpanzees may have come in there and went to climb out the pole and the water was gone. It wasn't going to happen anymore. One of them may have figured out, hey, look, that's where that water comes from. We can, we're apes. We can make tools. Let's go do something to disrupt the flow of that water. 
There was probably a way to get those dadgone bananas off of the pole. Maybe one of the chimpanzees was just strong enough to say, to hell with this, spray me all you like, I'm going to get up there and get the damn bananas. Maybe the whole story is an urban legend, I don't know. Doesn't mean it can't teach us anything. By the way, the frog in the boiling pot of water that I used in the beginning of the show, that's an urban legend. It's been proven by uh, Mythbusters. If you stick a frog in water and start to heat it up, he'll try to get his ass out of there. <laughs> Doesn't mean we can't learn from the story, though, right? So, and this is how I think most of Americans are living. There is that great, big, beautiful bunch of bananas at the top of that pole, but we won't even look at the pole. We're convinced that the pole is dangerous and risky. And, you know, when I bought our place in Arkansas, one of my family members told me, you bought another house, isn't that kind of risky? We paid $74,000 for the house, and this guy's driving around an SUV that they paid over $60,000 for. They have a six years worth of car payments on a $60,000 vehicle that when fully paid for will be worth about $10,000, and I have 30 years of house payments Uh, that are quite a bit less than their car payments, by the way, on a house that will be worth more if I just let it sit there and paid it off. How is what I'm doing more risky than what they're doing? And I think that it's just the way we've been conditioned to think. And above all today, what I want you to realize is if you're going to have what you want, you're going to have to break the conditioning. So for this meeting with yourself or with your spouse, and probably have this meeting with yourself before you have it with your spouse, and then understand this, married people... You're going to have this meeting with yourself. You're going to get this really clear vision. You're going to go to your spouse. If you start spitting up all over them, uh, verbally vomiting on them with all of your things that you figured out before they've done it for themselves, ain't going to go well. So you need to kind of lead them through the self-discovery and then have the common talk. And these are some, converse, some questions to ask yourself when you're looking to find your own vision. And then you just re-answer the same questions together, but only after both sides have done it individually. What do you most hate about your current living conditions? What do you most hate? What is the one thing that if you could change it with a push of a button, you would do it right now? What do you hate the most? What do you like about your current living conditions? You need good answers to both of those questions and multiple answers to both of those questions, by the way, not just one answer to, to each question. You know, Start out with the thing you hate the most, but try to make a list of 10, 20 things you cannot stomach about your current living conditions, about the way you're living right now. It doesn't even matter whether you're going to move. Or, see, it's not about moving, going somewhere else. It's about what don't I like so I can change that. And then what do you like? What did you dream about when you were 12 years old, 10 years old, 8 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old? What moments in your life are the most memorable? What moments in your life, when you think about them now, you can smell what was in the air, you can taste what the air tasted like, you can see the image and color? What moments in your life can you remember that way? And don't try to be selfless in this, because the day you got married is probably in there, and that's noble. And the day you had your child baptized or a child graduate from high school or something like that is probably in there, and it belongs in there. But so is that day on the trout stream. So is that shot at the first buck. These are things for me. So is that day on the Gulf of Mexico with a, with a ladyfish dancing across the still water with the sun glistening off of it like it was a mirror. 
Those things are in there too. And again, those are for me. Those are not for you. I'm trying to be open with you and tell you the things that are in there for me. So is three months on the Appalachian Trail right after you got out of the military, completely away from everything and having nothing but the silence of the forest. See, what? it's okay to have things like that that are just about you. And you're a good person, so you'll have some that are about other people too. But by connecting all of those dots together, you'll start to realize what was it about those things that made them etch themselves like, like etchings in a stone into your soul? What are the things that even if you become a senile old man or woman, you're still going to remember fondly? And when you take what you like about what you currently have, what you don't like what you, about what you currently have, and the things that really touched your heart and your soul, and you start to put them together, you'll start to be able to build a vision for yourself about what you actually want. You know, I can always remember, and every time I garden, I spray a little bit of water on the tomato plant, even though I know it's not good for it. You know why? Because that smell comes off it. And I'm 10 years old in my grandfather's garden, feeling the, the soil and going, it's finally warm, it's time to plant. And that may not be it for you. It may be drawing a bow. It may be drawing a picture. It may be writing a poem. I don't know what it is. But you have to find those moments and you have to marry them to the things that you still have that, that connect you with them. And then you have to take the things that you don't like and you have to start asking, do I really not like this thing or do I not like the current result of this thing? So for instance, you may have a car that you actually thought was a really great car when you bought it. And you may say, now I hate that car. You're two years into the payments. you got three to go. You're upside down on the payments. Do you hate the car or do you hate the debt? Some people hate the car. The car turned out to not be anything like you thought it was when you bought it. The car's a piece of crap, and, and you got suckered by the dealer or whatever. You hate the car. Most people don't actually hate the car. They hate the debt. Why is that important? If you hate the car, getting more debt on another car is going to fix the problem. If you hate the debt... Paying off the car, paying down to where you can sell it and get out from underneath it, and buying a piece of crap for cash will fix the problem. See, the solutions are totally different when we figure out what we're actually unhappy with. I hate living in this house. Do you? Or do you hate where your house lives? Let me put that again. Let me say that again. I hate living in this house. Do you really hate living in your house or do you hate where your house lives? Do you hate that your house is in the middle of a major city? Do you hate the fact that your neighborhood is in decline? Do you hate the fact that your lawn is, is, is bigger than you really needed it to be and you can only do so much gardening and you have to cut the grass for an hour every weekend during the summer? Do you hate the fact that where your house is is an hour away from where you work? See, th these things, it's important that you get, and I can't go through examples of every single one of them, but this is how you have to analyze the things that you say you hate. And the things that you say that you love. Well, I love when my family comes over for a barbecue on Sunday. Do you? Or do you love cooking on the grill and being with people who you want to be with? It sounds almost the same, but there's little tactile differences in there. You know, I hate my neighbors. Do you hate your neighbors? Or do you hate people that don't have a time of day to talk to you and get to know you? Two different things. They sound the same, but they're not. And the problem is that most of us walk through life focusing on negatives that aren't even real.
We think we hate our neighbors. Neighbors actually a really good guy if we got to know him. Just our current living conditions and the way that everybody's all stressed out all the time and the somewhat of isolationism we want to have because he lives freaking right there. I could open my side window and spit and hit his house. I don't even want to think about the fact that he's that close to me So I and he feels the same way and he works 12 hours a day and I work 12 hours a day so we don't want to talk to each other except when we see each other taking the garbage out we both say, nice weather, we're having goodbye and we get away from each other. So, is it really the person or the situation? As you find these answers, you'll start to say, because here's how the human mind works. When you actually give the mind a clear problem, it is the most powerful computer known to the universe. And no matter what they build a supercomputer to do in China, Japan, or at MIT, Nothing can compete with the human brain. Calculations per second is not what it's about. It's about the ability to actually ascertain the problem without somebody defining it for you and coming up with a solution. And the human mind, when you define a clear problem, immediately, imme you cannot stop it. And it's uncomfortable some, for some people. That's why they, they bury the problem with all kinds of other shit to confuse their own mind. They're doing it subconsciously so they don't have to face the truth. But when you clearly define the problem, like Ed did in, in Kathy's story, when Ed put the spreadsheet together and it was just black and white, here it is. Oh, hell, there's a solution. We've got to get out of here. Now, you know, 10 years ago, they should have been able to go 14 grand for property, well, it was 12 grand for property taxes or whatever back then. We didn't get the hell out of here. But they couldn't do it. But when they put it into minutia and looked at it and went, there's the clear problem, the mind goes, here's your solution. And you go, I don't like the solution. Your brain goes, I don't care if you don't like it. That's the solution. Right? It's like if you went to somebody and you said, well, I have, um, I have two cars, and I'm thinking about getting two more cars, and I want to know how many cars I'm going to have at the end of that, that activity. And they go, well, you'll have four cars. And you go, well, I don't want four cars. I don't care if you don't want four cars. If you have two, you get two more, you have four. See, that's how the mind works if we'll let it. And if we'll define the problem, the mind will give us the solution. And this is what I know about the solution you will probably not end up in a nice little rental home on five acres somewhere in central New Jersey. You might, but odds are, whoever you are listening to me right now, more of you won't than will. You probably won't end up in Nova Scotia on an old farmhouse that you buy for $30,000. You might, but a hell of a lot more of you won't than will. You probably won't end up on five acres in the Washita Mountains near Hot Springs, Arkansas. You might, love to have you there. If you're interested in moving there, get in touch with me. I'll help you figure out where to come. I love someone that listens to this show. Anyone that listens to this show, I'd love to have you near me. Because I know what kind of person you are. But you probably won't. Your solution won't look like mine. It won't look like Canadian guys. And it won't look like Kathy and Ed's. It'll look like whatever vision you create for yourself. I know it sounds oversimplified. I know it sounds like it's so easy for him. Yet, like I said before, when anybody says that about what I've done with Survival Podcast, you know, two years ago when it was 2 a.m. and I was working my ass off on my computer to make sure that everybody out there knew I cared and figuring out what to do for a show tomorrow and running a company at the same time and basically existing as a C-level officer for two other companies at the same time, and working 12 hours a day and driving 110 miles an hour round trip and having to entertain clients and having to deal with my partners and doing all of that and still working at 2 a.m. to build this, I didn't see anybody bumping into my ass 
when I came down the stairs because I couldn't sleep and I went ahead and pulled the, uh, the, the inbox open and looked at it and said, I'm going to take care of this so I don't have to do it in the morning, there wasn't a single person getting in my way except the dog. And all he wanted was a biscuit. And he usually got one. So it ain't easy, but it is simple. And I think that's what I'm going to end with today. This is the most important thing I'm going to give you today. Probably other than the stories of the two, two couples that did it. There's a confusion in the, the vernacular of the English language. We take words and we decide what they mean instead of accepting them for what they are. And we think of things like simple and easy as being the same thing. Simple is something anyone can do. Easy is something that requires little effort. Many things are simple but not easy. Building the life you want and getting your vision created and getting your vision accomplished and having a life that's really more livable and more joy enjoyable is very, very simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's hard when it comes to actually getting it done. But it's worth every minute. And it's a hell of a lot better of a dream than being 75 and in perfect health with a really nice tan, walking down the beach with your pants rolled up to your knees, carrying your shoes, like some stupid-ass financial company is going to put on the TV in front of you today. And it's something you definitely can do. It is simple. I never said it was easy. But, again, it's absolutely 100% worth it. And I believe you individually, every single person listening to me today, has something inside of you that's that way. It might be very, very different from mine, but you can have it. And most importantly, you deserve it. You deserve it, and you deserve, and you owe it to the people you love to make sure you figure out where you have the overlap, where the, where the common ideals are, and you build that life together. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
شمشان ج